Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot gossip through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and thanks for tuning in today, guys. Uh, Keeping with the theme of infertility this season, today we are going to talk with Clifton Gutterman about the pre-adoptive process. Clifton is a prospective adoptive parent in Atlanta, Georgia, who has just been matched with an expectant mother who is due to give birth in August. Um, So therefore, Clifton hasn't become a parent yet. The baby has not been born yet. So we are focusing this story on the process involved before the adoption takes place. And Clifton is obviously sharing his experience from his point of view of being a pre-adoptive parent. This is just one part of the adoption triangle. And in talking with Clifton, I realized that I know very little about this subject. Um, It's often glibly said to people who are struggling with infertility, why don't you just adopt? As if it were so easy. And in listening to Clifton, it really opened my eyes to the realities of adoption and made me want to understand more. Um, And furthermore, I realize we are barely scratching the surface with this episode, but if you want to find out more information on adoption, you should check out the podcast, Born in June, Raised in April. This is a show all about how adoption can change the world. Um, And it's from one woman's personal experience with transracial adoption. And in addition to that podcast, you should also check out two organizations, pactadopt.org, that's P-A-C-T-A-D-O-P-T dot O-R-G, and Concerned United Birth Parents, that's C-U-B-I-R-T-H-P-A-R-E-N-T-S dot org, for additional resources and information. Okay, um, let's see here. Let's just uh, dive into the interview with Clifton. Clifton, welcome to the show. It's so awesome to have you here. Thank you for hosting me. It's awesome to be with you. I love chats like this, and I hope (laughs) going to be a great time for everyone. Yes, I um so before we launch into all of my questions that I have for you, um we should probably tell the listeners how we know each other, which is through Falache Pearson. Yes, the always smaller than you think theater community and arts community in America and um yeah, I live in Atlanta. I worked I I know Falache well. I've cast her in shows. I've worked with her and she's understudied recently something I worked on and she's an amazing human and she like a lot of the Atlanta theater community that she followed along she with my journey to parenthood and she knew that this was something I was entering into and she's been um, keeping up and once she saw the news that we were moving forward and that we've now matched for adoption she she connected you and I, and I think it's great. She's an amazing human and artist. Yeah, yeah she's just incredible. 
She's an incredible. I'm just so grateful. So Falashay and I went to DePaul in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, when I put the word out that I was looking for, um, you know, somebody who was going through the adoption process, she was like, I I have a friend. I'm happy to connect you, Um, which is so great, you know, so great. She probably knew too. I've been very, we've been very open and that's a choice people have to make about how open you want to be about your process. And I can talk later about why we chose to be very public about what we're doing. Um, so she kind of probably knew that I would be willing to talk because I've been so active about our journey on social media and willing to talk to anyone about it because there've been a lot of questions. I love that. I'm, I'm really, I'm so grateful that you, um, are willing to talk about it because a lot of people aren't, yeah. you know, it's a very hidden process that not a lot of people know about, um, including myself. So I'm really curious to, you know, get to know what's, what's happening and, and what I, it's I, all I understand about. too that it's, you um, know, it's a personal choice, how transparent you or in your spouse want to be about it. And there are, there are, positives and negatives to sharing and it you know it it is it's it's each couple having to decide for themselves how how much they want to talk about it with friends and family or the public and i i absolutely honor and and understand anyone wanting to keep their journey to parenthood private yep yep it's a personal choice personal choice well why don't we start with a little bit about you and your partner and how you guys met Sure. Well, uh, I grew up here in Georgia in a tiny town of 300 people in the country in southwest Georgia, where Florida and Alabama and Georgia meet. And um, it was very conservative, very rural. But I found my myself and uh, my um, uh, my self-worth and my self-respect through the arts. So I uh, luckily, the arts were very, very... Um, active and prevalent where I grew up. And so I was very involved in chorus and drama and, and, um, band. And so I went on to major in theater at the university of Georgia as an undergrad. And then I went to Savannah college of art and design for grad school in performing arts as well. And after that, um, I, so I have been a member of the Atlanta arts community off and on since 2000 as an actor, a director, a producer, a casting director. Um, and I've been on staff at three of our major theaters here in town. Um, and now I'm a freelance artist, uh, actor, director, producer, casting director. But in the middle of all those years, 20 years of Atlanta theater, I went to New York for three of them. Um, and acted basically full-time doing regional theater at our wonderful regional theaters around the country through my agent in New York. And so I got to spend three years going all over the country, hanging out and doing fabulous work at our amazing regional theaters around the country. But while I was living in New York, I found dating to be incredibly hard. Oh, God. In the flesh. Dating (laughs) Dating anywhere is hard. Yeah, but New York, it's like, oh, man. It's 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 like an Olympic sport. Oh yeah, it's like going. Yeah, it's like the dentist times twenty. Like it's just, it can be very, very discouraging and disheartening, and you know, it, it's it's such a an anxiety filled filled city anyway. So trying to meet people out at bars, I was not having a great amount of luck, and 
uh, I uh, was getting very discouraged. And so I joined Match.com and uh, I was on it only like a month. And I got, I guess, a like or a wink or a wave or something from my now husband, Chad. Uh, and uh, what was fascinating to me about him and his profile is that he, he was a Southern boy. He grew up in Virginia and we had so many things down the list in common about the way we grew up and how close we were to parents and grandparents. We both grew up on roads named after our grandfathers. It was just crazy, like the number of similarities. So I was doing a show off Broadway and we agreed to have a drink, a glass of wine after my curtain came down one night at the bar. It was restaurant next to the theater where I was performing. He met me around 9 p.m. and it was an all-night restaurant. And so we left, we we sat there on the first date until 2 a.m. I love it when it starts that way. It was I amazing. love it when it just starts with a lot of talking. It was nonstop. So of course we then got food and we just had more wine and we sat and talked and I just fell in love immediately. And we ended the night at like 2 a.m out on the street. It was like the first snow of the season snowing on us. And we had a kiss and he took the subway uptown. I took the subway downtown and we have not been apart since. And that was 2008. And we quickly moved in together. Um, Then within a year, we moved to Atlanta for his job, but I grew up here. So it was a very easy move for me to come back. And, um, so yeah, we have been in Atlanta since 2009. We got married in 2013, we went back to New York to get married. It was before um, uh, it was legal nationwide. So we went back to the state where we met and made it official, did a big honeymoon, a big party here in Atlanta with family and friends. And now we are in the phase of wanting to expand our family. So how many years have you guys been married? What is that? So we've been married seven. Got it. Mm-hmm. We've, been to, we've been together 12. Got it. It felt like a marriage from the beginning in the sense that we moved in together very quickly. We combined assets very quickly. We made purchases together very quickly. Dogs. It, was, it felt... You no, know, I think that's important to do that before you actually seal the deal. Because well, we were, yeah, go ahead. I think, I don't know. I mean, like it gets, sharing money with somebody is very, is a very intimate process, mm-hmm. you know, and some people don't share financial information until they actually get married. And all of a sudden they've got a boatload of problems, you know? Yeah, exactly. And we had been through many relationships, you know, between us before. So when we were older and we felt like, you know, this was, we knew very quickly that we had found a great match. And so it moved, moved rather rapidly, but I don't regret a single thing. It's been fantastic. He's just, he's just an amazing human being. Oh, I don't know him, but he sounds great. His name's Chad and he's practically perfect. He's practically perfect. Oh, Chad. I love it. Um, well, when did you guys make the decision to become parents and what did that conversation look like? So it, it, it has come up off and on over the years, but in a very casual way. And it probably even came up on that first date. And I think it's sort of in our, it was in our match.com profile too. Like, do you have children? Are you interested in children? Are you not interested in children? I think it was one of the questions. So we've talked about it off and on over the years. 
And for many of the years, we were we were both kind of non-committal, but we we so we weren't very we weren't opposed to children. We weren't super excited and knew that's what we wanted to do. It was just a conversation that evolved over the years. And I, more so than Chad, in the last five or six years, was getting really close to wanting to and was talking about it a lot more. And I think I was really ready. And I had been around some children and I have friends who have young children. And I was uh, getting... You were getting that itch. I was getting the itch. And I think he was a little bit behind me on that curve. And I kind of, you know, was going to just let him catch up and was going to let it happen in its own time. And I kind of got very busy with work and kind of put it out of my mind. And we didn't talk about it often. And I came home last January of 19 to 2019 from rehearsal one night late. And he sat me down and said, I want to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay. And he said, I've done a lot of thinking. Um, I've looked at budget. I have been soul searching a lot. I think I'm ready to be a dad. I know you want to be a dad. I think that um, if we make some changes and I mapped it out on an Excel spreadsheet. And he okay, has, that, that's, that's Oh, he's key. the biggest geek in the world. I love him. But I he love was a like, good spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. He's like, I've worked it out. Here's what how we could cut and what we could save and what we could do to afford this. And that involved selling our house and moving into a condo to downsize changing some some things in our life and really saving and i had kind of been hinting at a condo for a long time and i thought he's never gonna no he's not gonna go for it he wants to stay in this house forever so he had spent this time on his own like looking at condos budgeting it out he talked to our real estate agent she'd sent him some comps of condos around the area he had this whole thing worked out and i sat there kind of i was tired from rehearsal and i was just crying and i was like i can't believe like this is all happening and you're like ready and now and you've done the work and like so within a very short amount of time he was we, prepared he like he was ready he didn't just say yes he came like with a whole guns load yeah he was ready wow oh yeah and you know i think i cried and i was like i can't i'm so ex- excited and so within within like just days we're talking to our a realtor about putting our house on the market about going to investigate this condo. And interestingly enough, that realtor had a really good friend who had worked with an adoption agency in North Carolina twice to adopt children. And she put us in contact with this woman and said, I think you should meet her, maybe take her out to lunch and just pick her brain about the whole process and all the options available to you and what her journey was like She's used this one place in North Carolina more than once, and she she's wonderful. So we did. This was all in the very early couple of months of 2019, and we took her out to lunch, and she told us everything and answered many questions, gave us a lot of resources. And so that's when it all started, and it, and it was very... Um, and this we, was 2019, you said? Wow, just last year. Just last year. January of 2019. And once this, once the ball got rolling, like he and I are both very organized and like proactive. And like, once we put our mind to something, we, um, we're all in. So I start researching social workers. I start getting, buying all the adoption books. I start looking at what different versions of parenting cost and all the options that we could choose 
I start talking to other people I know who've adopted. Um, yeah. And then we started a dialogue with that agency in North Carolina that came so highly recommended to us. And it started with like an hour long phone chat to get to know her, the owner. And it was wonderful. Wow. And how, so you're in Atlanta and they, the agency is in North Carolina. What is that drive like? Well, we've, we've never met her in person. Yeah. She's in Charlotte. Um, no, she's in Raleigh. Sorry. Um, and, um, it's just been a lot of phone calls and a lot of, um, texting and a lot of, uh, we've, we've known her now since January of 19 and we're very close. And what we loved about her, um, is that she, when she was in college as a college sophomore, she became pregnant with twins with her boyfriend and she was not at a point in her life when she, where she could parent. So she, um, placed her two twins for adoption as a young, very young person. And it was very traumatic for her. And it was a hard decision, of course. And she then later went on to marry in life. And uh, she and her husband ended up adopting multiple times. So she's been on both sides of the fence. And that's what we were just amazed at how she was able to be compassionate for both sides. And she, so she's been in the business for 25 years and she's placed over 700 babies in homes, including many LGBTQ homes. And so that was so important to us that she, she takes only like two clients a month. It was a, it was a very small practice that was very heart driven Mm -hmm. and very much about, um, she just knows the process inside and out so well. And she's so um, compassionate because she's she knows what it's like to give your children to someone else, and then to take to take children that's not biologically yours. Yep. So it was. She sounds like the perfect person uh, to to have like to walk you through this process. She's perfect, and she's fantastic for the birth mothers too because she is answering their questions. And this is such a big unknown question mark to so many of them. And they're often very young and they've never been through this before. And they have a lot of questions and she's been through it. So things that we could never answer, she's helping them on that side of the equation too. It's, it's wonderful. You can't put a price on that type of guidance. No. You know, somebody who is in the profession and has also had the experience of people coming in, in, you know, asking for help with it, you know, and having first experience that you can relay to people. Yeah, you're so right. And what's so fantastic about someone that's been at it so long is that there, there has not been a single question we didn't ask that she didn't have an answer for or an experience related to or a story to tell or she knows like yep i've seen that happen or oh trust me like this is absolutely normal this is an evolution she it's been golden wow well walk us through the adoption process like where does it all begin yeah so i think first you have to have you know you have to make the decision about how what the options are out there to, to parent You've got to have the, the conversations at home about whether you um, feel like you want to adopt, whether you want to look into surrogacy, whether you want to foster to adopt, whether you're talking about um, 
domestic adoption, if you're interested in international adoption, then there, you know, the questions of like, are we the kind of family that would be interested in an open adoption in America, which means a relationship with the, the birth mom at least, or know her knowing who we are, we knowing you know, like who she is, also if there's going to be any relationship with the child going forward, or if we would rather only say that we want a closed adoption, we don't want any contact. So you got to have all those conversations first. And a lot of that is about budget. Oh, because all those different options cost different money? Different, different things. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, sort of the least the least expensive option is to go through your state foster program and fostering to adopt in children who are in the foster care system and wherever you live. Um, up to the highest level of probably expense would be surrogacy. Um, with the research we found, um, surrogacy is about twice the cost on average of private adoption, double the cost of private adoption in America. What? Oh my yeah. gosh. And the, re- and the reasons are there's so much more, there's so many more medical procedures and, and, and there's so much more medical activity serv- around surrogacy, um, in, fertilization, implantation, har- eggs, harvesting, everything, uh, more visits. There's just a whole lot more cost. And we also, so then you also have to have the conversation. How important is it to you as a couple to see your genes, your DNA in the child sitting across from you? How important is, is it to you to carry on some sort of family bloodline? Um, is it more important to you that you just want to parent a child that needs a great family? Um, and you know, then of course, if you're talking about, oh, like, I'm just getting goosebumps. It's a lot. Like if it's you're talking so- about like two dads, you, then you would, if you, and you did just decide to do surrogacy, you have to decide: do you want who, who would be the donor? Or are you talking about twins? Do you want to try to have? a surrogate deliver a child from both dads it and it, then it's more expensive so you there's so many things that you have to talk about first we certainly entertained the foster to adopt option and i have a, a great friend here in atlanta who fostered a, a young boy and he's just a great single dad raising this boy and we we talked about that for one, one there are very few infants or, or small small children in the foster program there are a lot of older kids, a lot of siblings, a lot of pairs or, or, you know, and so one of the things that as we discussed our life, we both have wanted this now for a while and we're very excited about bringing a child into the world. And, and we felt that it would be too hard for us personally to foster a child in our home and for that child to potentially go away, to be taken back or to end up back with his or her birth parents, because that is the risk of fostering is that you, you can have a child in your home for a little while and fall in love with that child and have full intention to raise the child and adopt at some point. But if whatever's going on in that family situation corrects itself or the parents are suddenly able to parent again, the rights often lie with the biological parents. And so we didn't feel that we could fall in love with a really small human being and then that small human being go away and be taken out of our lives. Oh, that would be the hardest. Because we've waited so long and we wanted it so badly that 
we just felt we need a child that we're we're sure once he or she is ours can stay with us. And budgetarily, we just weren't at a place where we felt we could do surrogacy, nor was it as important to us. It wasn't important to us that we see our DNA in a child. It, it's not from my, myself and my husband, it just wasn't a priority for us. Um, and we know that there are so many children in the world that are born to families and to situations that that family for, for a number of reasons cannot care for that child or just not feel that it's the best choice for the mother. And those child, those children need to go somewhere and we have the resources and the love and the support network. So we quickly honed in on domestic adoption. Got it. And domestic over international because international is a little more expensive and um, there there's different types of red tape in different countries. Yeah, I was, you know, like the small piece that I know about international adoption is that there's a lot more paperwork. There's a lot more like hoops to kind of jump through. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to have a lot of ducks in in the row, in the right row. It's true. And we felt, and the risk factor can be a little higher um, just because of barriers of language or, or law. And we also, you know, if you're not talking about surrogacy and you're not, you don't know when the child might officially be born and you're talking about somehow getting matched with someone way across the world, it can be very expensive to sort of pick up and, and get a flight to India with two days notice. You know, it was, it's also just, it's, it's, it's a whole lot harder to plan. Yeah. So we, we settled on domestic, private adoption, open adoption. So looking for a child in the U.S. with a mother who wanted to get to know us in some fashion, who mutually agreed that we were the right fit. And, um, yeah, within the U.S. I love that. I love that. And so you're kind of not just adopting a child, but you're adopting a mother, too. And depending on what she's, you know, potentially a grandmother, potentially mm-hmm. her, her, you know, the mother we have matched with has two small boys under four. And we're not sure yet. She's figuring out what her plan will look like and relationships. But at some point, she may want her boys to meet our little girl. So you're you're talking about potentially an, an a new extended family. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. A big family is always beautiful. Yeah, and you know we also have to prepare ourselves that and and our manager, our agent at the agency has been great about this is that people's minds can change. A birth a mother can can think at the beginning that an open adoption is what she's interested in and a relationship going forward and letters and video chats with the child and presents and maybe a visit once a year. And as the years move on, she might change her mind. She might decide that it's, oh, it's too painful. Man, it's deep too, breaths. It's too much. Yeah. So we have to honor that. And the mother we've matched with knows very, she knows very clearly that it is her decision how much she wants to engage going forward and that we are open to a hundred percent on the scale of like contact, including visits, but we don't, we're not putting any pressure on her to, to match with us because of that. We, even if she said after a year, 
I don't think I can have any more contact. It hurts too much. We would understand. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot. Wow. Brave. Like it's a lot. I mean, so the birth mother is primarily in the driver's seat the whole time. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. And they, the birth mother chooses the um, adoptive parent or parents, correct? Correct. And I'm, you know, I'm learning too, Millie, that terminology has changed over the years. And now it is sort of, and, and I had to be educated on this, it's more appropriate to say the baby's mom or the, the mom of the birth mother has become um, a bit dated. And I get wow, it. Wow. Thank you. Thank I listen. I, I, slip up, I did it. I slip up regularly. And so, um, and that was pointed out to me by our agent who works with moms every day. And um, what, um, what is, can you break that down for me just so I can understand it a little I don't bit more? Actually, I don't know the psychology from the, from the point of view of moms and why that sort of has changed over the years. Um, I think it sort of came out of like how you talk to children as they grow up and how you describe who that person might be in their life or when they start asking questions or other people are like, well, where's the mom? And you know, so I think it's so it's become a way of saying, helping clear up any confusion or negativity around like this person's absence and like she only gave birth, but she doesn't. I see. I think it's just become in some way a little neg has some negative association. I'm not a mom or female, and I'm not so I don't know. Except that I get it when I hear when I hear it, and I feel like I when I hear the phrase or speak the phrase, the baby's mom, mm -hmm. it does sound better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what is the name? Um, how do you refer to the mom that um, adopts the child if a mom adopts a child? So mom. Mom. Just, yeah. And like we'll be dad and daddy. And we've decided on that, um, you know, some – some gay couples are, you know, like Clif Clifton Daddy and Chad Daddy or Daddy Clifton, Daddy Chad. So, you know, I think it, you just, just like it. any so other family, as soon as the baby is. And mom. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. And then, you know, there are also. Even, this is all my knowledge that I know, okay? Listen, From it's been a. Mom. Team mom, Caitlin and Tyler from Michigan, you know, who gave up, you know, who yeah. gave up their child. And um, I don't think people and words matter. You know, we all know totally. that words and, matter. And, I, and also, like, you know, what else has become, and I used to say it, what also has become a little dated is giving up a child for adoption. This couple or this mother gave up her child. And now it's sort of better to say placed her child. Oh, I like that this, better. This mother matched her child because giving up means sort of has also sounds like a, an abandonment in a way, and that's not that's not at all what she's doing. Yeah, there's a negative like ring to that. Yeah, I can, I so can see that. We're right. We know certainly we have older we have grandparents in our lives who are grandparent age. We have older people in our lives and. We've certainly already heard and are preparing ourselves to hear questions like, well, why did she give up the child at all? Or why did she need to give up her child? So it's going to be a process for us to help everyone in our life, like understand. And, and the reason it's important, and I learned this in, I, I've read many books on adoption and 
I have one that's my favorite and it's specifically geared toward gay dads and it's written by a gay dad who he and his husband adopted. And the, the questions that gay men get asked specifically in public when you have a child with you, like two men with a little girl or two men with a little boy and you're out in the park or you're going to a play date, you know, all parents get asked questions and, and any, any child who's adopted, those parents are going to have to answer questions about where the child came from, but it's very particular when you've got two moms or two dads. So we're ready to be asked things like, where did the baby come from? Or why did the mom um, go use adoption anyway? Or like, which one of you is the dad? Or at home, which one of you is the mom and the dad role? Or, yeah, you know, which is, but it's going to happen. You know, and we've already heard people in our lives say like, why did this particular mom, why is she giving up her child? And like, so it is on us and there's no malice in any of that. It's curiosity and we get it. Um, so we, we're going to have to, to figure out our family narrative. And, and it's very important to do that because children pick up on any kind of stress or or negative association or shame around around how you answer questions. So we've already had conversations about like how, when asked, I mean, uh, you know, for a little while they're going to be too small to understand, but as soon as she is old enough to pick up on what we're saying, we want to make sure that however we talk about where she came from and who we are to her, that there's no shame in it and that all of it is spoken of in terms of love and this decision was made because a great number of people loved you before you were even born. So we made these decisions together so that you could have a great life. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I'm just coming back to the idea, coming back to your, you know, to the questions that people ask you, like um, asking you why the mom you know, mm -hmm. decided to, and again, wrong terminology to use the term give up, but why did the mom place the child up for adoption? And I, I'm like, why is that anybody's business? Exactly. And you this, know, like, you're what? right. And that's an answer too. And the, the, the writer of this fabulous book um, said that, you know, you, you can absolutely decide for yourself how, who in your life you want to share what with, and the general sort of person out in public, you don't owe them any real deep explanation. You can just say, that's a family matter. and Or you can turn the question back on them and say, why is it important for you to know? Or what does it matter to you? Which one of us at home is more of the mom and more of the dad, or, which is very sexist and dated. And, but, you know, or you can be cute about it and say, you know, like, well, we switch, we switch off and on. <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah, he does her hair and I do her nails. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're prepared and we're funny guys and we're not, we're, we're very secure in who we are. So, uh, but it was, that was the most fascinating sort of part of the educational journey to me is like, oh, it's not just that we're a couple adopting. We're a gay couple in the South. Um, and we are now matched with a girl. So, it, you know, we're prepared to be out in public, you know, 
one of us maybe is out with the stroller and the other is doing something else. And like, where's the mom? Where's her mommy? Or um, whose child is that? Or, and then when you, even if we do answer like, whose child is that? Really? She's my child. Oh. oh, well, did you, is she adopted? And you know, like, you can either say she's my child or you can say, you know, she is. It's just a, it's a personal decision and you've got to figure out like what, how you want to approach it as a couple. Totally. And this is, I mean, I, I totally agree with you with, on the fact that like everybody, it's everyone's personal choice, how they want to, um, what level of, um, openness they share with the world. Um, and I guess my own personal, my own personal like mm, like whiny Millie over here is like I wish people shared about it more because it would um, – I think that like – I mean just the, you know, the two phrases that you've educated me on today, like I'm, I'm so grateful to know that information, you know? Yeah, and it's it's been – you know, it's – I think anytime we make a big, huge life shift like – education is key and learning as much as you can going into it, you know, I, but then I, we also know you can read a million books on adoption and parenting and there are going to be surprises and no child is the same and no family is the same. And I'm sure we'll probably get some awesome question that was not in any of those books that I'm going to have to field immediately in front of my child and figure out what to do. But, um, but I think that's just parenthood in general too. Yeah. You just yeah. kind of make it up as you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, instinctually, like, we are built to to care for others. So I, it'll come. You'll figure out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so, um, so you would say the reason that you chose adoption as opposed to surrogacy is, one, um, it wasn't important for you for the child to have your DNA mm -hmm. and then two, um, you know, cost differences. Yeah, those are the two big ones. Those are the two big ones. Yeah. Um, well, what do you know about some of the unique challenges faced by children who come through adoption? You know, I've read a lot about this and I don't, I don't know a ton except that, um, you know, I, I I do know historically there can be um, some shame around adoption once a child figures out um, that that's how they came into this family, unless the family has prepped them in a great way. Um, they can sort of think things about abandonment or why wasn't I loved enough or what why couldn't she, why didn't she want to keep me and care for me? Was there something wrong with me? Um, all those kind of thoughts. Um, I, I think, I think in 2020, we're in a whole lot different place about those kind of conversations than over several decades previously, because there's just so much literature out there and so much positive um, sort of thinking on how to talk about those things, including from the very start, just talking uh, in ways that don't um, inspire shame and, and all of that. But, you know, I think in the past too, adoptive kids might have been a little bit more bullied if they were found, you know, found out that they weren't. But, but again, in 2020, I think there are, 
kids can be bullied for all kinds of reasons. And I don't think that, uh, I think there's so many different types of families in school systems today and in communities that adoption as a sort of way of baiting bullies is, is, uh, isn't any more prevalent than other things like red hair or glasses or someone being overweight or someone being too effeminate. Now, you know, I do, I, we certainly have thought about, you know, will she encounter any kind of negativity or bullying or because she's adopted and being raised by two gay dads? Possibly. We are in Atlanta and it's a very liberal bubble in this state. And we will, of course, be looking into groups and schools and and every organization that she would be a part of being an inclusive organization. So we would do everything on our part to make sure she's surrounded by other kids like her, other families like her. And then there's also just, ton, you know, I'm the son of a librarian. There's tons of children's books now, and there's tons of reading, and there are tons of shows. There's tons of media to expose to her, to show her that she's not alone and that there are all kinds of other kids like her. So I think, you know, 2020 is a great time to adopt because we've come so far in like what we can show a child to, to let them know that they're not alone in the world. There are a lot of other kids on earth in the exact same position she would be in. Wow. Wow. Yeah, but I get it. I mean, you know, it's... That's great. Like, there's resources, you know? There's resources. And 50 years ago, like, you were an outcast, you know? Well, and a lot of it was on the parent... Years ago, parents wouldn't tell the kids. There was shame around the whole industry, in a sense, of the whole concept of adoption. So these kids wouldn't find out until somebody slipped up and said something. Or they wouldn't find out until their teens. Or, I mean, we fully intend to, when she's listening and talking, to start conversations about, I mean, she's probably going to have questions and, or, or someone at a preschool is going to say like, on, you know, we, I was just reading some article the other day about like what happened at this preschool when they were making Mother's Day cards or like macaroni crafts or whatever for the moms. And this kid had two gay dads. and so you know, what does that kid make in class to send home to mom when all of these kids are making Mother's Day presents? And so the dads had been proactive with the school to say, like, you know, we are two dads. And can, is there anything that can be done in that craft session to help the kids understand that, you know, Susie doesn't have a mom, but she's got two great grandmothers. Can she make something for her grandmothers? But here's why Susie isn't making something for her mom because she has two da- two dads. Mm-hmm. So I think you just have to be intentional and very proactive about it. Yeah. What was the biggest frustration throughout all of this? You know, I think I think that it. We touched on this a little earlier that. So much is in the in, in the in the mother's court, in the sense that like she can change her mind, she can it's on her to choose. She can decide how open or not she wants to be, or how much she wants to reveal about 
you know, the, the father or not. And so I think what's been a little frustrating is like, as a person who likes to be in control and like, and like know what's happening or be organized or like loves facts and like, and that, spreadsheets. Totally. And that, and that, yeah, that, um, that you can do your best and you can have a great agent and you can have a great profile and you can answer everything on time and you can send in all the paperwork on time and you can have your home study ready and you can have social media accounts active and be taking photos of your dogs <laughs> in baby bibs and you can be out and you, you can be doing all the right things and you can even potentially match. And we did almost match in December and we came close again in February and you can do all the right steps on your end, but ultimately it's an organic process that can shift instantly if she changes her mind, if some medical issue comes up, if, if um, you answer a question a certain way. And she, so I think it's, it, I guess frustrating is not the word, but it has been a little difficult to know that like, a lot yeah. relies on her. And that, but that's life, right? Like you can yeah. go through life with all the best made plans and something can come out of left field and change everything in a heartbeat. So it's just been a little, you know, it's been a little frustrating to know that, you know, we're doing all we can. Um, and then it shifts. So we, in, in December, a mom, um, she basically narrowed down uh, her choices to two couples and we were, one of the couples, someone else, and she has specifically wanted to place her daughter or her baby with two gay men because she was raised by her gay uncle. So she was looking at gay couples um, and male men. And so she narrowed it down and she sent us this amazing question through her social worker, this amazing questionnaire that touched on topics that weren't in our profile very specific things like vaccinations, like what, what are your thoughts on vaccinations and what does discipline look like in your house and what does an open adoption mean to you and what does religion look like in your house? And so we answered honestly. We told, you know, we didn't sugarcoat anything. We didn't hide anything. We were very honest and positive and like this is how we would approach all of these things. And I'm sure the other couple answered the same. And we don't know what made her choose them. And we don't know if the questionnaire even had anything to do with it. But it was shortly after sending back those answers that we got word that she chose the other couple. And, you, you know, and you will never know. And, yeah. and it's not our adoption man. Our adoption manager might know, but she's not going to tell us that because it gets puts you in your head and it starts to make you think like, well, should I answer differently next time? Right. All, all right. you can be is honest and just, be yourself and if if it wasn't meant to be because of something we said about religion or or you know discipline right it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. well i'm just like we're gonna bring it back full circle here back to like dating in new york you know it's like you never really know why you know it never worked out but right. like it doesn't mean that one person is bad or the other person's good you know yep. it's like it's yeah, just, it's just life fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. And so it's been a, it's, yeah, it's in each time over the year. I mean, relatively we matched pretty quickly given 
that we only started in January of 19. And we've only been live for matching once this home study was completed since September. So we've only been available as a couple since September. So this happened relatively quickly in the grand scheme of how long some adoptions can take. So we're very lucky in that sense. But each time it got a little easier to sort of know, well, we did our best. She just, it went a different way, but it's probably not about us. Got it. Yeah. Like that, that information, it, it, I just, it doesn't seem like it would be helpful, you know, no, and having it an was, honest it, open book about who you are, you know, you could get into your head and start, like you said, just start scrutinizing yourself, you know? Yeah. And she, our, our agent was like, I would never want you all to respond in a dishonest way or like change your answers based on what you think a mother wants to hear, because it'll come out later in the wash or you just don't want to start that relationship on any kind of dishonesty. Yeah. What has pleasantly surprised you the most about the process? You know, it's uh, my husband and I are very close and we are just very compatible and um, very loving and we talk a lot and we are, we're best friends, but it has caused us to have naturally, you have to have a lot of conversations that you just haven't had before as a couple. You have to talk a lot, particularly in the early stages when you're filling out all this stuff about things that you just don't, just didn't come up in life. You have to talk about like, oh, how, this is how I was disciplined. How are you disciplined? How are we going to discipline? You know, like, oh, we got to talk about vaccinations. Oh, we've got to talk about circumcision. <laughs> oh, we've got to talk about you know, like um, religion in our house. And so it's been really lovely in the sense that we've talked more in the last year and a half, I think, about big picture, like philosophical things than we ever have. You know, and at this point in a marriage, at a certain point in a marriage, you get, you know, you have lovely conversations about daily things, but you don't, it's rare that you end up having a ton of these philosophical conversations or we don't anyway, but we've had to because we're talking about a life in our hands, in our house that we have, that we're going to be responsible for shaping. So we are having chats about religion and we are having chats about vaccinations and powerful women in her life. And who are those women going to be? And you know, what, what kind of discipline is going to be best in our house? And so that's been pleasantly surprising. Like that's a great question. Wow. My husband and I haven't even talked about this. You're giving me a great to-do list. Well, a lot of it was prompted by that one mom who asked us those questions and it might've been her social worker feeding her those questions saying like, if you're on the fence, you should ask them these things, you'll learn more about them. And she did, but you know, that made us have to, you know, certainly at the very beginning of the process, we had to talk about things like, is seeing your face in a child and your DNA important to you? And we had to talk about things like race. And we had to talk about things like sex of the baby. And then these big things like vaccinations and religion and discipline. And so it, it has brought us closer. Like that's been the pleasant surprise is that like, instead of it, and there have been down periods where we've been sad and where we've been upset that we didn't match. But 
then there have been more periods where we've just had these lovely conversations about what, what it's going to be like to be dads as we talk about these things we've never had to talk about. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, you kind of touched upon this, but what what's your biggest fear going through all of this? Well, previously to matching, like my biggest fear was that we were going to, it was going to take a really long time. And I, and I belonged to some like gay dad groups on Facebook and like some guy on there, like he and his husband, it took six years for them to match six years. And I think originally one of my biggest fears was like, we're both 44. Oh, yeah. Am I 44? Yes, we're both forty-four. I this I had a birthday in in April, and I I, I literally thought for twenty-four hours I was forty-five. And I'm forty-four. <laughs> oh God, no! Like I, one of my biggest fears was like, are a lot of a, a, a lot of these young moms, and they tend to be like teenagers through mid twenties. A lot of them, you know, are they going to think that we're too old, and they're going to gravitate towards young families who are on the sites? Is our is being an LGBTQ couple in the South going to deter some people because they um, are worried about the South or they or they don't want gay people to raise their parents? Um, or white, like there were all kinds of things in my head. Like, are we, do we have all these handicaps because we've waited so long? And like, I think, so my biggest fear was like, are we going to get looked over a lot? And are we going to, is it going to take years? Because one of the things we said to each other was like, we really want to try to do this before we turn 45 because of our age. And like, I don't want to be a 50 year old, like trying to adopt. And then, and then, you know, we're, when that, our daughter's 20, we're 70. Like, you know, I, I would love to, to do it before 45. So that was the biggest fear starting the process. But the, the newest fear, like now that we've matched is that she will change her mind. I mean, that is, I think every, yeah. every, every couple's big fear is that because there in America, no mother can sign away the rights to her child pre-birth. There is no contract she can sign guaranteeing us placement. And every state is different in terms of the number of days a mother has after giving birth that she has to wait a waiting period before she can terminate parental rights. And in the state where we've matched, it's luckily only five days. So on the sixth day after birth, she can then fill out the paperwork to say, I terminate my rights. And then the baby can be ours. But, you know, we've all heard the stories and we've all, uh, there, there are certainly examples of people changing their minds. And, and that can happen with surrogacy too. It's not just with adoption. So I think, I think our biggest fear is that, you know, a mother will have the baby, see the baby in the hospital, fall in love, get very attached and decide I'm, I'm going to parent the child. I'm going to keep the child. Mm, yeah. It's just the reality. It's the reality of the process. It is. And the only thing you can do to sort of mitigate it or, or try to, on, on our end, is to form whatever kind of relationship she's willing to have with us over these months to show her who we are and how, how excited we are 
and how supportive we are of her. And we talk to our, our, our baby's mom once a week on the phone and we text back and forth during the week. So she knows how excited we are and she's excited and it's going great so far. But the only thing you can really do is form a, a bond that's hopefully strong enough that when that child is in her arms in the hospital, in her mind, she is saying they love the baby already. They want to parent this baby. This is the decision we've made together. I need to do the right thing that we've talked about. I, I, I made the decision to place my child and I, I need to stick with it because of this amazing couple I've met. So all we can do is try to be that couple. Got it. I, um, I'm, I'm remembering another question that um, might not be a simple answer, but um, it, 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 it's come up for me as we're talking about as throughout this interview. Um, who names the child? Now that is very unique to each situation. And we've been through that lately. Like we, um, we certainly had names in mind that we loved and we actually settled on, and I'm not going to share it because we're going to kind of wait to share it publicly. The people in our life know, and she knows, but we looked at names when we were thinking about a boy. And then it ended up being that the name first and middle combination that we settled on ended up sounding very unisex anyway. So it was kind of a great name that would work for a girl or a boy, both first and middles. And so we talked about that with our adoption agent. We said, we, we know we have a name we love. How do we, in these weekly conversations with her, how do we bring that subject up? Should we even, should you, like, how do we talk about it? And she said, it's different every mother. She goes, I feel like this mother is very sure about this adoption. She's very sure about you guys. She does not, she can't parent another child and have another child in her home. She knows she's ready. I feel like she's going to leave that up to you guys, but I'll sort of test the waters. So she kind of checked in and the next time we were all on, we were on a phone call, all of us, we were on the phone, the baby's mom was on the phone and our adoption agent was on the phone. And she said to the mom, so we've all separately talked about the naming issue and um, I'll call her Jane Doe. Um, Jane, would you like to tell the guys your thoughts on naming the child? And so Jane said, um, yeah, I want you guys to name her from the start. I want, I want the name that you want on the birth certificate from the start. I, I want, I want I to think of her. Oh, I'm, it melts my heart. But it's not every case that, you know, it is the mother's decision to, if she has a baby growing inside her for months and she wants to name that child, um, you know, Rachel for months and refer and talk, talk to her and put Rachel on the birth certificate. That is her absolute parental right. And then, you know, you just later as an adoptive couple have to change the birth certificate. It's wonderful that the woman we've matched with wants the name we love to be on the certificate from day one. And that's just golden, but it's, it's unique in every sense. And, um, but that also helps us feel a little bit safer and more a little bit better that this particular mom is already saying things like, no, this baby is yours. Like mm -hmm. I want you to name her now. Like, so that's that. Yeah. That's there's a little bit of reassurance there, you know? Bit. Yeah. 
Um, well, as we kind of round up here, do you have any advice for people thinking about adoption? Um, yes, I would say certainly read up on there's there there are tons out there, and it can be overwhelming. Um, you know, particularly if you're an LGBT couple, Q couple, there's a lot of very specific media out there for gay couples who are trying to adopt. But then any couple, there's just so so many resources. So I would say read, 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 and then take some people out to lunch or dinner who have have done it. Like go to a meal with someone who has been through the process and adopted and ask them what their experience was like. And for tips, just get to know or, you know, or listen to like a podcast like this one and like really, really kind of figure out. Um, Yeah. And I would think, I would say, you know, before you're in front of a social worker or before you're, you have to fill out all of these questions, sit down with your spouse if you're adopting with someone. And certainly people adopt, you know, single parents adopt. I have a friend who's interested in adoption um, and she's single. But ask yourself or ask your spouse these big philosophical things and, and come to sort of a consensus on what you feel as a family about like religion and discipline and vaccinations before you are in front of a social worker and you you're answering differently, you know, so that it's not awkward so that you just, because it may like a lot of these questions may prompt you, you know, you may figure out things about like race of the child or um, are we comfortable with any kind of um, addiction issues in the mother or drug use or, are we comfortable with any kind of um, disability or birth defect? I mean, those are very, those are very large conversations. Oh my gosh. Like I just had to take the biggest deep breath of my life. But you don't want to be having, you don't want to have them under pressure of, of an, of an interview. Yeah. Or later in the process. You don't want to be going into the interview with that being the first time time you're asking yourself those questions. No, because you, you know, you want a social worker to feel like you're on the same page and that you are a unit and that you're, you've really thought this through. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I now, like now just one more question. Sorry. Listen, listen, (laughs) I got all that. (laughs) I'm, I'm quarantined in my house. Like I gotta start like, I'm just building the nursery today. I'm like making things. So, oh, okay. So, will you be able to be at the birth? So, you know, and that's different for every couple. Our baby's mom wants us present. So, we're figuring out what that means in the age of COVID. And if, you know, one of the things that our adoption agent has encountered in the couples she's been working with in, say, March and April, who were matched with mothers who were delivering in that span is that, you know, everything has changed in the medical community during this. And so she has seen that typically a a mom will be giving birth in a hospital and most hospitals, if they know it's an adoption, will allow the adoptive couple into the hospital. And if they have extra rooms, they'll sometimes even let you spend the night or you could rent a room at some of the bigger hospitals. But during COVID, they've been severely limiting the number of people who enter hospitals, obviously. And so lately, birth uh, babies' moms have 
been had able to have one person in there with them, either their spouse or their mother or whoever they choose, but not parents, uh, adoptive parents. And so we don't know what it's going to look like in August in this state where we're going, but um, we hope that the restrictions are lifted enough that we can be in the hospital. Um, it's just a matter of kind of wait and wait and see. We'll, we'll certainly be there and we'll be nearby in a hotel and we'll be in a hotel with a kitchen and uh, sort of so that we can, we'll be able to take the baby on the sixth day. And then what, what we haven't talked about yet is what's called interstate child protection clause, ICPC, which means that once you've adopted um, in a state that is not your own, um, you can't cross line. You can't cross state lines with that child until the paperwork and a great amount of it comes from the home study um, travels between the two states. So we're not adopting in Oregon, but say we're adopting in Oregon, and we are out in Oregon. And on the sixth day, we were able to take the baby, but we have to wait for the paperwork, and it's FedExed overnight, and all these. We have to wait for the paperwork to travel between Oregon and Georgia to make sure that both states know that we're approved, everything's legit, that all that the, those mounds of paperwork that we have gathered, that we can legally take that child in, in the car or on a plane and travel with them. Wow. Or her. Wow. That's why it's important to like, and we've got copies of everything and scans of everything and they live in the cloud and they live on our, in a booklet so that you, nothing snags up that process and you're stuck in a state for two or three weeks in limbo. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, I commend you for, for, um, for all of it. I really do. Yeah, like um I you know, thanks for coming on the show today and like really educating me, uh, you know, on at all of this stuff because You're I know I think that um it's important for everybody to know you know what the process is like. Yeah, I hope that it's helped. I you know, the one thing about adoption just like birth or every anything can happen and it's very unpredictable, but it is a process and it's a very um, detailed and 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 paperwork heavy process and a lot. There's a lot of soul searching, but I think if someone knows deep in their heart that they are meant to parent and they have extra joy and a full life that they're ready to share with a tiny little human being that is all worth it i know end of august we're going to forget like how much work this took and how hard some of these steps were and how personal it all became when we're holding her so if i can help anyone just by pointing them in the right direction or helping them understand you know the journey i'm more than happy to well, thank you so much, Clifton. Um, we wish you all the best. Thank you. I, you know, uh, we'll be um, we're pretty active on social media, so I'll be I'll be yeah, showing. If people our wanted fun to follow story. you, where could they follow you on Instagram? Yeah. So on Instagram, we're Clifton and Chad Adopt 
on Instagram. Great. And and right now it's a lot of pictures of my dogs dressed up in baby clothes or <laughs> in a bouncer and it's pictures of the nursery and it's pictures of uh, me being silly. The dogs in strollers. There's a lot of dog stuff. I love um, it. But soon uh, it'll be our dog, uh, our, our little girl. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll be thinking about you and we'll, um, I'm just, I'm so happy. I'm so like excited for this next chapter for you Thank guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share. This has been great. You've been a great host. And Aww. yeah, I can't wait to, to see how it all turns out. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Bye. Millie. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.